politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, Paul Revere's and Miniman to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house, your one and only truly independent conservative talk show host for Freedom Friday in honor of Memorial Day. Today is the day we take back our country. Today is the day we fight back against the dystopian view of our government that lets out violent criminals while locking up business owners, that locks down the entire healthy population of this country while purposely putting sick patients in the thousands, now we know 4,600 in New York City, into nursing homes to wipe out more people than would have naturally died from the virus on its own. Boy, do we have a lot to talk about, this immoral government. Boy, do we have a lot of poignant thoughts on our mind headed into this Memorial Day, which will be like none other in our history, a July 4th that's going to be like none other, that takes on a new meaning. This year, it will be about a lot more than just barbecues. You see, obviously, there's extraordinary sacrifice. You know, when you look at our military, especially in this generation where it's 100% voluntary, where the political leadership, both of the military and the civilian politicians, make terrible decisions, make them go to war for stupid causes to rebuild Kabul and Baghdad, terrible rules of engagement, social engineering. People who sign up and die for the country, it's truly truly extraordinary. It's, it's a burden that is shouldered by a very tiny percentage of 1% of the entire country, and it's totally voluntary. So the sacrifice in itself is important. But it's not just about the human sacrifice. It's what is driving that sacrifice that we commemorate on Memorial Day. Ronald Reagan said on Memorial Day, if words cannot repay the debt we owe these men, surely with our actions, we must strive to keep faith with them and with the vision that led them to battle and to final sacrifice. Now, what was that vision? Calvin Coolidge, I always usually talk about his 1927 Memorial Day speech. Back then, back then it was called Decoration Day uh, at Arlington National Cemetery. Um, but I want to cite from a speech that he gave in, actually, I think it was Minnesota, July 29th, 1928. He was dedicating a memorial to Colonel William Colville. He was one of the first people to sign up um, when it was still voluntary uh, in the Civil War to fight when Lincoln called on people to to fight. It was a regiment from Minnesota that signed up. He headed it. Um, there was a lot of fame that took place behind that regiment. I believe, I believe it was the second day of Gettysburg where they repelled a Confederate attack that really was very much, very much a turning point in the battle. Um, for those of you that are into civil war history, but he said the following honoring, uh, it was a dedication to of a memorial for Colonel Colville. Heroism is not only in the man, but in the occasion. While there is a certain glamour which attaches itself to the peril which the highwaymen and the bandit incur in their criminal activities, it is not genuinely heroic. It will not survive analysis. It leads nowhere. Having no moral quality, it provides no inspiration. It is only a counterfeit of the reality. If it is remembered at all, it is not as a blessing, but as a curse. You see, the people that stormed the beaches of Normandy, the people that made all those amphibious invasions in the Pacific Islands, Iwo Jima, Okinawa, they were fighting for a cause of our constitution, our freedom, our liberties, our way of life. There was a sense of morality behind what they were doing. They do, did it because they knew it was right. It was the right thing to do. There's plenty of people, like Coolidge mentioned, that will sacrifice their lives for stupid things, for immoral things. 
we now are desecrating that cause. We are desecrating the cause of those people who came before us and died for this country. Folks, we've all seen the images of, you know, so many people that have been put placed into handcuffs for merely opening up their businesses with five people in them when there is no law or authority behind those orders. There is no science behind those edicts. Every day that we study this issue, we discover the appalling, dastardly nature of the lie, overblowing, exaggerating, and obfuscating the risk assessment of this virus to most people. And then the few people who are most vulnerable, not only did they not protect them, but they actually killed them. And they killed them precisely because of the panic of wrongly assessing this as a ubiquitous death threat to the entire country. And we're going to talk about that more in a moment. But I want to talk about the crime. I want to talk about an unjust government that is no longer deserving of the sacrifice of our military, the people that they send out to war, and why it is incumbent upon us to join our fellow citizens in Freedom Friday to open up the businesses and say no, say no to this immorality, to debunk the lies, to plot a a path forward, to demand of this president that he wake up from his witness protection program and actually fight the left and actually threaten to veto the bills and use leverage of his veto pen to condition any future funding to end the release of criminals and the locking up of peaceful businessmen and these arbitrary laws and to fully be a voice for the right science that we are pointing out, which, by the way, is CDC's own data. We'll discuss that. Instead, he was in New Jersey today. Someone just sent me. He was um, on, on a radio show. He called into a radio show in New Jersey praising Governor Murphy, who literally killed thousands of people in nursing homes by sending them back from the hospitals. Praising him. And he's also you know, playing up a bailout of New Jersey's transit bailout. I mean, it's almost like the Chris Christie moment. If you remember, it looked like Obama might lose to Mitt Romney in 2012. And Chris Christie, after Hurricane uh, Sandy, went and hugged hugged him and played him up and and really turned around his numbers. I mean, Trump is is just self-immolating. He's the most (laughs) anti-Trump. That's the irony. He just can't control his messaging for one day. But none of my colleagues are willing to take the fight to him. Why isn't he serving as a voice for this? But I digress. I digress. Folks, I now have a number for you. We now know that as of fairly recently, 67,000 criminals have been released nationwide. Now, I I want you guys to understand This is on top of the last number of years and really accelerating the last two years of jailbreak where we let out tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. So remember the ones that were left in there beginning March when they started with the coronavirus jailbreak. Remember, those were the worst of the worst. According to UCLA, 43,000 have been released from jails, 24,356 from prisons. Total of about 67,000. Do you know how much crime is going to be committed? Do you know how many people are going to die from that? Career criminals being let out like that? We know that more than half of them reoffend within three years. 83% within nine years. And we're seeing so many of them immediately reoffending. You know, New York says that now they are finding that an entire, what is it? Um, shootings are up 21% in New York City this year. And 13%, I'm sorry, 19% of suspected gunmen have been released this year. Okay? We now have all stories from everywhere. Washington State, a a woman was, imagine this, you're hiking alone on a trail. A guy came up from behind her and and almost choked her to death. That guy was a convicted armed robber just let out due to coronavirus jailbreak. And by the way, that is another analog 
and consequence of the COVID lies. Because we were told, oh, this is so deadly. So many people have it in prison. When in fact, it proves the opposite. They all have it. 99% are asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic. And very few have died. This is all a lie. There's no reason to release them. They already have it. They already have immunity. They've all gotten it. How many people are going to die? Well, we see every day now. Stories of people getting killed. Murdered. By them. Murdered. Truly sickening. Truly, truly sickening. Folks. As of 2018... Your chances of being victimized by a violent crime, it's called the victimization rate. It was 23.2 per 100,000. Okay? For most people, your chance of dying of COVID, if you don't have a comorbidity, is going to be somewhere, and it's very hard to peg, but somewhere in the order of 1 in 500,000, 1 in a million one in 100,000 for some people. Yet your chance of being victimized by crime as of two years ago, before so much of the jailbreak and then accelerating the last two months, 23.2 out of 1,000. Now, that's not likely, those are not um, murders, but victimizations. I don't have the murder array. I could probably find that. I wonder if it's it probably is lower. You, I think I think in most places you are more likely to be murdered than to die of COVID. And now that that likelihood, ironically, has gone up. I mean, this has the most hypocritical, dystopian, ironic, circular, self-immolating logic than anything we have ever seen under the sun. This is the darkest, most comprehensive amalgamation of lies I have ever seen in my life, and likely that have ever been perpetrated in the history of settlement of this continent. And that is not an exaggeration. I want you guys to consider the following thought. Hawaii, 38% of the entire state's jail population has been emptied out the last two months. This is a state where just 17 people have allegedly died from COVID. 17 in the entire state. Yet they empty out the criminals. In early May, a 20-year-old Hawaiian dude was arrested for stabbing someone to death just two weeks after being released. Hold that thought. Think about, at the same time, this state has the strictest lockdown in the nation. One man was even arrested, not at the beach. He was arrested, I think, in his home or his, like, a, like maybe I think he was a tourist on vacation there after posting a photo that he was at the beach. Alone, outside, open air, open sun. Sick. This is not the country for which our men sacrificed all those years. It just isn't. So this is the true dystopian nature of what is going on. We could go through so many statistics today. It now turns out New analysis. States that reopened their economies two weeks ago or earlier have seen on average a day-to-day decline in new cases of minus 0.4% based on data from the University of Michigan. In states that have not yet reopened, it's unchanged. So they've actually done better. We destroyed this country for a lie, for inflated numbers, for distorted numbers, for numbers that are extremely limited to a population that is within a year of dying, mainly in nursing homes that we could have shielded. But rather than shielding, the very same people went and killed them, these governors. All the people that are dying from mental illness now Suicides are up. There's a report out of California. Doctors are seeing an alarming rise in deaths due to suicide. I'm sure it's happening in every state. Think about that for a moment. Then we discover now 
that the number of people that Cuomo had sent back into nursing homes from hospitals was 4,300 COVID-positive patients sent into nursing homes. We now know that New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, and Michigan did this as well. California did it on some level. Minnesota definitely advised it, but didn't mandate it. And we might find out other states have done this as well. I want to give you an astounding statistic that is going to blow your mind. 62% of all nationwide COVID-19 fatalities occurred in those six states. New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. Those states compose 16, uh, 18% of the U.S. nationwide population, account for 62% of the deaths. Those were the states where the governors ordered the elderly patients with COVID in the hospital to be placed in nursing homes. That is your answer. You take that immoral order out of the equation, the deaths we have in the country would have been half what they are. Half. Think about that. The very same immoral bastards that are locking up peaceful people for opening up a business where there's no science behind it. People for whom there's a one in 100,000, one in 500,000, one in a million chance of dying. They locked them up and then took the people that had a much higher risk and almost gave them a 100% chance of dying. There's something strategic that also happened here and I want to I want to really really talk about this. Panic and virtue signaling kill. Not only did we destroy our economy, people's lives, the suicides, transplant patients, cancer patients, heart patients, stroke patients, tens of thousands we're going to find out who died as a result of the lockdown and the disproportionate flat earth science of panic and exaggeration that drove people away from, from getting treatment. But... We now know that tens of thousands more died from COVID itself because the very people who said we need to only focus on COVID and act like a bunch of idiots. Now, you might be scratching your head. Let me do the math for you. See, when they came out with these simulations and said 2.2 million people will die of COVID, and they came out with simulations saying in New York City, 60,000 hospital beds will be taken a day, when at the highest peak, it only reached 14,000. It was a lot. It was a lot, but 14,000. And in most other states, it was overestimated by like an insane amount, much more than that. That wasn't just, look, we erred on the side of caution. We should be thankful we didn't need it. No, 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 no. They killed people. Because to be fair, to be fair to these governors, somewhat, <laughs> It's not like they sat behind there and said, ha, 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 we are going to kill these people and send them into the nursing homes and wipe out the nursing homes. I don't think that's what they were thinking. What they were thinking was they were following the stupid models, which were transparently fraudulent from day one, and we pointed it out from, from hour one, and they acted out of panic. They're like, oh my gosh, we have to free up hospital space. So they freed up hospital space that didn't need to be freed up and sent the most toxic patients back into the most vulnerable confined area of a nursing home, and they wound up killing, collectively in these six states, tens of thousands of more people. Think about that. Wrap your brain around that for a moment. That is an astounding, incontrovertible incontrovertible truth you will not hear anywhere else. It is unbelievable the depth of darkness behind that move. But remember, it was driven by the panic. 
and, and by the way, another aspect of this, the more I talk to people, the more I um, talk with epidemiologists, people like Johnny Anitas, he put out stuff on this. It seems clear that what happened in New York was this. So obviously there was the population density with super spreading events in the subways that I think spread it around much farther to get a much larger larger denominator. But the question is, how come the IFR, the fatality rate, seems to be higher in New York? And the reason is very simple. It was self-fulfilling. It was re- They reloaded the gun. So many people with a cold just came in and flooded the ERs because of the panic, because of the disproportionate the the notion that they gave people the sense that it's like a 10-20% chance of dying when really for most people it's under 0.1 and we're going to discuss that as we have discussed for many days so they came in they came in with a cold guess what they all got it they got it in the hospitals it was a self-fulfilling prophecy and it created a self-fulfilling chaos and panic viral load Malcare in certain hospitals in particular, and it just spiraled out of control. And then and then they had the panic of putting people on ventilators that probably didn't need to be on ventilators, killed a certain amount more with that. That's what happens when you're driven by panic and virtue signaling. Because virtue signaling is no virtue. It is a vice. Truth, balance, prudence, This is what happens when we're driven by politics. We killed more people. It's almost like, tragically, you could create a black humor cartoon out of this. Like, you know, a cartoonish figure trying to run away from something chasing him or scared of, like, landing in something. And then you go like such a nut. You go in a circle and land in the very thing you were running against. Oh, my gosh. I don't want to be like Lombardi. Do you see what they did in Lombardi? Do you see what they did in Lombardi? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Look what they did in Lombardi. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. Look what happened. We're all going to die. And guess what? By doing that, they repeated what happened in Lombardi. Both the frenetic um, clamor to free up bed space and send elderly people back into nursing homes. They, that, that's what happened there. All the countries that did it. All the states that did it. They have twice as many deaths. I mean, that is the active ingredient. And then, just all the panic they made and the decisions they made just fed on it, fed on itself. That's what it seems at this point has happened. It's not that there was another strain, a mutation that has not been found. This is truly, truly unbelievable. And folks, let's get to the data. There's something that's happening now that is truly remarkable. See, again, there's one thing if you make a mistake and you overestimate a problem. There's one thing if that mistake proves to be fatal and you wind up killing people. But at least you're like, look, we had bad data. We jumped the gun. We panicked. But then once it became clear, I mean, how long have I been on the air yelping about this? Pretty much the entire duration of it. For all the eight to ten weeks. But you would think after three, four, five weeks. But even to this day, they're doubling down on more shutdowns, more insanity, more abuse of our children in schools. These terrible rules that CDC is putting out to have kids in mess and keep away from each other. And insanity that's going to create psychological and uh, emotional trauma for our children when they have more of a chance of dying from a lightning strike. And that is ironclad data from the CDC itself. So the CDC is starting to put out data that says exactly what we say, but then their political guidance is completely divorced from it. Because again, this wasn't originally driven by an erroneous reading of the science. A mistake. Some people bought into it. This was driven by politics to remake America, to destroy our liberty, to destroy our country, to use this as the pretext to do everything they wanted to do. Remember, I warned this from day one. The first thing that really raised my antenna as to how dark this was is when I saw the criminals being released. I was like, wait a minute. What the hell does that have to do with anything? 
they always wanted to do that. I've been fighting that battle for for six, seven years, uh, you know, by now. Six, seven years. Again, as I note in my article today, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, over the last 10 years, the incarceration rate has gone down 28% for most people in prisons and jails. The incarceration rate in prisons is lower than at any time since 1996. The incarceration rate in jails is lower than at any time since 1990. And that was as of 2018. That's not fresh data because it takes them a while. It's old data. Most of the real bad um, new changes to the law that have passed abolishing bail are in the last two years, even before the COVID jailbreak. So by now, I mean, that number, the prisons are being emptied out. You cannot imagine. Again, 25 to 35% of jails in, in many states are, have been emptied out. Do you understand what that's going to do? This was never about even an erroneous reading of science. It was all political. But what they did is they spewed erroneous math and science to create panic so the people would go along with it. And then that got the panic killed so many more people from COVID. It killed so many more um, people suffering from other ailments that were too scared. Well, some of them were downright shut down. Operations, procedures were shut down. All of it under the guise of misreading what happened. In that vein, I'm going to present to you a media blackout. You're not going to hear. Imagine if you have this massive debate. Okay, massive debate. We had this massive, consequential, grave debate between people like us, backed by Oxford and Stanford, and Johns Hopkins and the Imperial College and the panic porn crowd. And the debate was basically something like this. They were saying that the cases we see are essentially all the cases there. Maybe there's a little bit more. So therefore, there's few cases. And therefore, the death rate is very high. And this thing is like the bubonic plague. And therefore, it justifies everything we're doing. We said, no. Really, this has long spread asymptomatically and mildly symptomatic for many, many weeks and months. So many more people have it. And therefore, if you actually discovered the number of people who have it, and you divide by the people who died, you would get the IFR, the infection fatality rate, would be roughly the flu, but even then, very lopsided, where almost all the deaths are now in nursing homes. So now that we know more about that, it was all because of the reloading of the gun, as we said. If you take that out of the equation, the 0.5% of the population in senior care facilities, if you look at the other 99.5%, it's a decimal below that. And if you take, and then if you want to calculate for healthier and younger cohorts, it's two to three decimals over from that 0.000, whatever. And you're down right into either dying of a car wreck threat level, or especially for children, less likely than getting struck by lightning. So we had this debate. And we were saying you are killing more people. It is insane. If you're going to shut down for something like this, you have to shut down for the flu. You have to shut down for everything. This is utterly insane. Secure the damn nursing homes. Stop the stupid mass transit and let everything else open normally. And achieve more herd immunity that way. So... What is the gold standard for the media, for the politicians? Well, the CDC itself. The CDC came out with a report that was posted last night. Or at least it was discovered last night. It was posted the day before. I was about to go to sleep. This, this is why I have a pounding headache. I was up to like one in the morning because it came out from our Twitter buddies like 1030 at night. Earth shattering report. CDC says almost exactly what we said. So, if you remember, Stanford pegged the IFR not at 3.4% like the World Health Organization, but at 0.2. 0.2. And they estimated that 50 to 80 times more people have likely gotten this than the known cases, at least at the time. Now more, there's more testing, so the ratio is less, but at least at the time. And that a good chunk were asymptomatic. 
Everyone laughed at it. But then we saw one serology test after another say the same story. Different states, different countries. We saw prisons, meatpacking plants, ice facilities, ships that said the same story. So many people had the infection, so many were asymptomatic, and very few died, and the few who died always had very specific underlying conditions. Again and again and again, same story. But they wouldn't listen. CDC came out last night that the infection fatality rate is 0.26. Now let me do some math for you. They came out with among the symptomatic, okay, among those who are symptomatic, it is 0.4. But they estimate that 35% of those who contract it are asymptomatic under their best, under their most likely scenario that they believe is most likely. And therefore, if you add in the asymptomatic, the total IFR, infection fatality rate, you do the math, it's 0.26. And by the way, there was one guy on Twitter that I follow who a couple days ago estimated that, literally 0.26. It's unbelievable. He was on the money. Now, you might notice 35% seems kind of low for, for asymptomatic based on what we're seeing. Some places we're seeing 70, 80, 90%. So if you do the math and just conservatively um, pull that up to 50%, let's just say 50% asymptomatic, you reconstitute the pie and you get 0.2 cleanly. 0.2 cleanly. That is exactly what John Ioannidis, as I wrote about and talked about a couple days ago, pegged it at. This is the CDC. Put out last night, you're going to see I have an article out. Follow me on Twitter. You could you could find the link. CDC just put that out. I want you guys to think about the consequences of that for a moment. I want you guys to think about that. But it's more than that. That is the entire top line IFR that includes the fact that almost all of the deaths are in, are are among those that are like within a, a year of dying in nursing homes. So what is the IFR for everyone else? Point two, I'm just getting started, folks. Point two does not begin to even just quantify it. You take the nursing homes out, you're down to point one for everyone else. That is the flu. That's the flu level, right? Point one. But I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. What about for younger people? Remember. Even outside the nursing homes, most of the deaths are above 65. And most of those above and certainly below 65 are among those with mainly three or four conditions. Okay? Heart, pulmonary, diabetes, together with hypertension, and to a certain extent, neurological, which is like Alzheimer's, but that's going to be usually people that are very old. Um, Those are the main conditions we're seeing their rate's going to be remarkably lower than that. Okay? Remarkably lower. So let's let's unpack this. So CDC estimates for everyone under 50, okay? Everyone under 50, they estimate that it's 0.325, I believe. Okay, so that's roughly, let's just say roughly a third of 0.1. I know this is getting a little confusing, and I don't have a chart, and I know this is over audio, but let me say that slowly, a third of 0.1 of 1%. So to give you an idea, that is roughly 1 in 6725, almost 1 in 7,000. Okay, let's say 1 in 7,000. Okay? But again, almost all of those people, 95 to 99%, had those comorbidities. So what if you didn't have the comorbidities? And also, most of those are within like the people in their 40s or so. What if you're a school child? Because we're talking about locking down schools. Folks, you are more likely to get struck by lightning if you're a child. Okay, we put this in perspective already yesterday with that chart we told you that you're more likely to die from everything else. But then folks, remember... These are just IFRs. IFR means you 100% got the virus. You have it. 
what is your chance of dying? Okay, what is your chance of dying? And what I'm telling you is overall, you know, for for younger people, it's like one in 7,000. But that one in 7,000, so let's say you have 70,000 people, 10 will die, okay? Nine out of 10 of those people will be among the comorbidities. So if you're not one of them, you know, unfortunately people do have those conditions at a younger age or you're certainly at an older age, but there's a lot of people who don't. Among those people, it is demonstrably lower. It's more like over one in 100,000. Now that's the IFR. That assumes you got it. What is your chance overall of dying of COVID? Meaning there's two levels. Who says you're going to get it? And if you get it, are you going to die? <clears throat> because, you know, especially everyone's being careful. Everyone's not doing things and they're, you know, going crazy overboard. But um, certainly you take the basic precautions. <clears throat> and if you haven't gotten it until now, if you haven't gotten it yet, what's your chance of dying from it? Four infectious disease doctors wrote an article in the National Post um, that is very worth you guys looking into. It's worth a read, okay? So I want you guys to check it out. Um, Trying to remember, just Google Canada National Post. We are infectious disease experts. It's time to lift the COVID-19 lockdowns, okay? Just Google that and you'll find the article. So if you guys want to read it, it's it's really well worth the read. Um, And again, it seems like there's more censorship in America than other countries, ironically. We have become less free than these other countries because it's more political here than anywhere else. They estimate that for people under 65, okay? Not not under 50, under 65, the death rate, this is not infection rate, it's infection fatality, it's overall death rate, is six per million. That's .0006, one in 166,666. So one in in in, in one hundred sixty six thousand, and again, most of those have comorbidities. That, that that's not a healthy death rate, healthy person death rate. That's for all people under sixty five. All people under sixty five. Okay, this is hard data. All people under sixty five. It's a one out of one hundred and sixty six thousand. If you're under 65, you don't have those comorbidities. Your infection fatality rate will probably be 1 in 100,000. And your death rate, meaning that who says you'll get it, could be 1 in a million. Lightning strike. Certainly, so they say that is roughly 1 in 166,000 is roughly equivalent to the risk of dying from a motor vehicle accident during the same time period. Not over your lifetime. Not over your lifetime. Over the same period as COVID. Believe it or not, I mean, over your lifetime is much, much, much higher. I mean, this is utterly insane what we're doing. People don't know this. We're, we're debating studies, this, serology, this, uh, virology, epidemiology. We could sit and debate all sorts of in-the-weeds things about transmission, what a virus does and doesn't, and it's a nice discussion. There's a lot of things we don't know. Frankly, these guys don't know a lot about most coronaviruses. There's such a dearth of data. Such a dearth of information. But in terms of the hard math, you don't need to be a scientist. You don't need to be an epidemiologist. You don't even need to know calculus or statistics or be a statistician or um, an actuary. Simple arithmetic. Simple arithmetic. Okay? It is disgust. You can't emotionally abuse an entire country. People don't know. I myself, as in, as emphatic as I've been until a few weeks ago, I, I, I knew the foundation of this. I didn't realize to what extent. Because once we realized they were all in nursing homes, they're like, well, wait a minute. What about everyone else? That means your fatality rate, if you do the math, is insanely low. And like even someone over 65. Again, someone in their 70s, they need to know this. You'd be a little bit more careful. But of course you can go to a store. You wash your hands afterwards. You don't touch your face. But of course you should if you don't have a heart condition 
which a lot do, but a lot don't. If you're like my father and you're healthy, your chances of dying are remarkably low. Remarkably low. And even in New York, remember, a lot of people got this. Now, a lot of people are going to say, well, Daniel, those numbers you're giving me right now are from Canada. Canada does have a much lower um, death rate per capita than America. But the problem is, all of that is being driven by what? 62% of all deaths were in six states because they freaking sent the positive COVID patients back from the hospitals to the nursing homes. You take that out of the equation, you take, you, you could skin this cat several different ways. You could do, take the six states out of the equation, or you could take 100 miles outside of New York City, outside the equation, and you get essentially Canada. The rest of America is essentially the same thing as Canada. It's, it's, it's pretty close. Last time I checked. <clears throat> this was all done for a lie. All for a lie. Now tally all the people who died from the lockdown, who will die from the lockdown. Now, folks, there, there's something remarkable. It's like, this is CDC. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This has become a national religion. They're going on, doubling down. My governor lockdown, Larry, bragged on Twitter how he has an army of contact tracers, which are brown shirt Nazis. To do what? To trace what? What are you doing? For kids, it's like one in a million. And these dogs, much less than the flu, by the way, and these utter dogs, animals, CDC put out this animalistic, utter animalistic um, guidance for schools. Did you see that? We need to rebel and make it clear that kids will not go to school that way. I immediately contacted my friends in Congress and the White House including some very senior officials. And I said, you better get on the president right away. Why is his CDC putting out such drivel to have kids over to wear a mask? When the CDC's own damn data says the opposite. How in the world have we lost our minds? This is sick. And if they try to mandate this in private schools, you call the superintendent or principal of your schools and you say this will not happen. You rebel against that. I mean, I, I, I'll tell you, I mean, I sent to private school, but I am this close to doing homeschooling if we could, if we could work it out next year. This is truly disgusting. Truly disgusting. This is not the country for which our founders fought for. But folks, where, where's Trump? Where are the Republicans? Mitch McConnell said, we're, we're going to try to keep the bill under a trillion dollars. I thought you said we're drawing a line in the sand. We're not passing another bill. What did I tell you, folks? Pelosi purposely asked for two, three tri- trillion, knowing that McConnell would do this. And this is McConnell's opening bid. Is one one trillion. See, your opening bill bid should be a zero unless you fulfill these seven conditions: no contact tracing, no brown shirts, no shutting people down, no suspending churches and civil liberties. You need a complete audit on what each state did with all the money from the first stupid two trillion bill before we give you more money, because they're spending it on garbage. Nothing to do with protecting the vulnerable. It's on Nazism, brown shirts, and then just freebies, free food, free this. Nothing to do with the virus. They broke it. They own it. Don't give the states more money until they end this. Uh, People are hurting. So then the federal government needs to give the money directly in the form of reparations to small business owners. Not to give out to states to indiscriminately spend on their pet projects. And to people that didn't lose. Again, I'm, I, I'm thankful to God. A lot of people are not in my situation, but a lot of people still are. I did not lose any salary. It's stupid to mail money to someone like me. 
It has to all go to the businesses. And it's not a stimulus. It's not a bailout. It's a reparations for an immoral and an unjust taking of their property. That's the only bill they need to pass. Any other money has to be conditioned to not letting out criminals from prison, not locking up free Americans, no corona fascism, no contact tracing, no mandatory mask mandates. And there needs to be a full reckoning. McConnell needs to hold hearings with Johnny Anides and all these people, the Oxford professor, saying all what I'm saying. Hold, hold, hold hearings with CDC on their own stupid data. CDC themselves, they just said a few days ago, quote, the threat is significantly lower to children than the flu is. Significantly lower, that's their words. And they're mandating this? Are you, have we lost our minds? There are things we don't know about the virus. There's still fascinating academic theories, postulations. But what we do know is what I told you, is the data on the overall risk assessment and who it targets and who it doesn't. And when I say doesn't, again, I mean in a statistically meaningful way. We don't run our lives on anywhere near those levels of risk to shut down. It's literally car traffic. You are For most people, you are more likely to die in a car accident within a year, much less your lifetime, than die of COVID. And what we do is we have safety regulations. Over the years, we've brought car accidents down by like 50%. But you don't abolish cars. Okay? We don't act like, oh, Daniel, I know someone who died and he was kind of youngish or this guy, I don't know what sort of conditions he had. I don't know. I don't Look, I mean, the data doesn't, I mean, this is all the 50 state data. And, and these guys are, are inflating it. I'm saying they certainly, it's not, it's not right-wingers constructing the data. I mean, these are the people pushing the lockdown. I'm using New York City data in terms of comorbidities. That's what they put out. I'm not making it up. 99.4% of those who they have verified comorbidities with, meaning that they've checked whether they have it or not, 99.4% who died had comorbidities. So, you know, I'm not making that up. I, I am shocked. I, I don't take pride in, I mean, I take pride in the truth and the, the work we've done here at Blaze and some of my other colleagues like Steve Dace. But I will tell you, I, I really wish this wouldn't be true. I mean, you gotta, you gotta believe in hope that, that, that there would have been some legitimacy to what we did. Nope. And again, don't throw at me a straw man. Oh, Daniel, should we do nothing? I was one of the first people in the entire country in not March, January to call for shutting off international travel, which would have been somewhat painful and take a chunk out of our GDP, but nothing like what we did. I was for initially not having super spreader events, large, large events. Um, you know, obviously we're all washing our hands more, watching what we touch more, being more careful when we go out. Dude, let's get to the truth. Let's get to the truth of the matter. It's proportion. It's context. It's measures. You know, when you say, well, something is more than a threat level one, you're right. So maybe it requires a response level one or two, but not a response level nuclear warfare of a million. Not a nuclear bomb. Sure, there are certain ways it is worse than the flu in the sense that it transmits a little quicker. There's no vaccine whatsoever. It seems to have a longer duration. It's not just the winter. It extends out into the spring, and we don't know how long. And certainly for older people that are very sick, it seems to be, although the flu is dangerous for them, but, but it seems like this is even more dangerous than the flu, for sure. But you, you got to even it out. For a lot of other people, it's roughly the same. And for youngsters, which defines our school policy, 
it's 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 an order of one tenth or one eighth. Okay, so you got to put that in perspective. Meaning, we're already all of us are agreeing to do five, ten levels beyond the flu. That's baked into the cake. We're already doing that willingly. Everyone's doing that. So we're already beyond that. I'm not saying not to do more than the flu even. I'm saying not to do what is being perceived as the bubonic plague. This is not what our brave men, our soldiers died for over the years. Douglas MacArthur, General MacArthur said, no man is entitled to the blessings of freedom unless he be vigilant in its preservation. The people, the Revolutionary War, War of 1812, Civil War, Spanish-American War, World War I, World War II. Some of the wars thereafter were kind of dubious, but the men who fought fought, fought with the same courage for a government they thought they were protecting. Up until Fallujah and Iraq... Kandahar in Afghanistan. They earned that badge. Most of us haven't done that. The best we can do is preserve the values they fought for with vigilance. We stop conforming to crap. Stop crap conformity. This is immoral. It's illegal. It's illogical. It's flat earth. It's unconstitutional. We need to do everything in our power in a reasonable way to block this, to fight against it, to disrupt it. May God bless our military, those that died, those that are veterans. May God bless those that are trying to fight this, those small business owners that are bravely opening up today on Freedom Friday. May God bless us all with prosperity, with intuition, with a sense of purpose to fight, to move on. And may God please place in the hearts and minds of people with power the truth and the light of your reality. Folks, have a terrific, terrific Memorial Day weekend. Let's salute our flag, salute our country, salute our our soldiers and our military. And when we're on the other side of this, I promise you, we're all going to take this to the next level. 